Hi, I'm Jana Panaritis, and you're listening to the AgeWise Podcast, where we give you strategies for aging well and wisely. And how do you do that when on top of scrambling to keep up with the demands of your own life, you're also caring for someone else in your life? Well, we're here to help. Each week, we hear from people just like you who share caregiving stories from the field, how you cope, what you've learned, and how care has changed your life. We also hear from professionals in the field of aging and people using media to address major health issues and challenge widespread assumptions about what it means to get older. So stick around for some straight talk on aging in all its unpredictable glory. In March of 2017, Homestead Inc., owner of the Homestead Senior Care franchise, conducted a survey of 1,001 women ages 45 to 60 who are employed in the workplace and also caregivers for at least one parent or in-law. Side note, two-thirds of all caregiving is done by women. Among the survey findings is this. Nearly half of all caregiving daughters feel they sometimes have to choose between being a good employee and being a good daughter. That scenario is all too familiar for today's guest. Maggie McLean was employed as a paralegal and also teaching as an adjunct faculty member at Webster University when it became clear that her mother needed more care than was immediately available. Maggie's mom has Alzheimer's disease and is almost completely blind. Maggie joins us today from Fairview Heights, Illinois, to share her story. Maggie McLean, welcome to the AgeWise podcast. Thank you, Jana. So let's get some basics. Tell us where you grew up and a little bit about your childhood. Okay. I was actually born in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. Um, my my dad had taken a job there. My parents are from the Deep South. I'm the only one in the family who was born north of the Mason-Dixon line. <laughs> <laughs> and so I'm the only Yankee in the bunch. Where but in the South? Georgia and Alabama and Florida. And uh, in fact, they met on the campus of the University of Florida and were married just across the street huh. in the Baptist Student Union Chapel. Huh. <laughs> so okay. theirs, was a, theirs was a university romance. Uh-huh. In fact, they knew each other for the four years of their undergrad, mm-hmm. but they didn't date until my mother's senior year. She was one year ahead of my father. No. And they didn't date until her senior year. And uh, it just clicked. Wow. And they had nearly 64 years together of, I, I, could, I can honestly say, wedded bliss. They were incredibly happy with each other. They were very much in love. And in fact, right before dad passed away, they were holding hands. It was Christmas Day, and they were holding hands, and that's very typical of mm-hmm. their behavior together. Oh, how cute. Um, so I grew up very close to my family, the five of us. I have two sisters. Mm-hmm. We moved around a lot mm-hmm. for my dad's work until we moved up here to Illinois just before I entered second grade. So for that reason, we weren't around the rest of our extended family very much. Mm-hmm. So the five of us are very close. Where are you in the birth order? I'm the youngest of three girls. And I'm 10 and 8 years younger than my sisters. Oh, and I was the planned child. They were born when dad was doing his uh, doctoral program. Mm-hmm. And you know, mom said, the last thing we needed were two babies. Nevertheless, here they came. So when I was old enough to realize all that they'd given up by having me, um, I said, you are 
done with night feedings and bottles and <laughs> diapers? And what were you thinking? And mom said, well, we just decided we wanted another baby. Yeah, and but see, that always works out. out. That always works out well for the third, because the third, by that time, the parents are so kind of chilled out. And they've learned yes. what they need to know about babies. So you get the benefit of their knowledge. Oh, I had the best of all possible worlds. And I knew it. I did realize it because I had the benefit of having siblings. And so I had all that experience. But then they married when I was in junior high. Okay. And then they started having kids. So I okay. have n- nephews that are only 15 years younger than I right. am. Right. You're almost like an only child in that scenario. I mean, I had all the benefits of an only child as well because yeah. I had a lot of time when I was the only child in the house. My sisters had married and moved away from the home, mm-hmm. and they were in the same area, but still, I was the only one at home. So I had a lot of time with mom and dad when mom and dad had more time than they did when okay. my sisters were little. So I, it was the cream of the crop birth <laughs> position. I lucked out in that regard, and I also lucked out with my parents. Um, I won the lottery with my parents. They're wonderful people, and I'm, I've always been proud that they're my parents. I never went through that stage where, you know, you're kind of embarrassed, and you're, oh, here, you can drop me off here instead, and I'll walk the rest of the life. Yeah. You know, I, never, yeah. I never went through that stage. Yeah, um, that's They a were always too. my biggest fans. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. they were always my biggest fans, and I always knew how fortunate I was to have them as my parents. So that's why when my father passed away about three and a half years ago, and it was quite sudden, he was in pretty good health. And in fact, we just got mom out of the hospital from a heart attack and a very dicey stent placement. So we were just thrilled that we had mom back with us from the hospital and that she was doing so well. And we all realized that we could have easily lost her then and uh, it was Christmas time and we were just so grateful I felt like I'd gotten uh, the biggest Christmas gift ever and two days after Christmas dad was there and then the next minute he was just gone it was that quick wow he just collapsed he mm-hmm. was in the bathroom mm-hmm. he just collapsed but as hard as it was for me to find dad and I didn't know he had, was completely gone mm-hmm. I couldn't tell he was still warm And I called the paramedics and hoped that he could be revived, but it was too late. He was already gone. The coroner said it was so sudden, Dad wouldn't have even had time to know anything was wrong. I mean, it was just boom, and that was it. Mm -hmm. It was a massive heart attack. Mm -hmm. And for, for Dad, I'm so grateful. Watching Mom decline would have been an agony for him. Mm -hmm. It would have crushed him. Mm -hmm. How old was he when he passed away? He was, let's see, Mom would have been 84, so Dad would have been 83. Okay. But I'm so glad that I found him because Mom, with her vision problems, she would have called for him and he wouldn't have answered. And she would have been frantically trying to see and look around with her little walker. She'd be trying to find him. Mm -hmm. It would Mm -hmm. have been horrible for Mm -hmm. her. But by the time we got her up, and my sisters were here by then, and we told her together, you know, the three of us were together and talked to her, and Dad's body had already been taken to the mortuary by that time, because it's all very bewildering. In fact, last night, she woke me up about three or four in the morning, 
because she wanted me to check and make sure Dad had enough cover on. She forgets that he's gone. She doesn't forget all the time, but she forgets a lot of the time. And I don't want to break her heart again by telling her he's not around. But sometimes she'll force the point. You know, she'll say, did you ask Dad what he wanted for dinner? Mm. You know, or go check on Dad. Go check, you know, (laughs) Mm. at some point I'll have to say, I'm sorry, Mom, you know, he's not with us anymore. And sometimes it'll click in then. Sometimes it's, what do you mean? Mm-hmm. And I'll say, if you think real hard, you'll remember. And then she'll say, oh, my, I'm sorry. Well, then she'll apologize. And I always say, you oh. don't need to apologize, for <laughs> heaven's sakes. Yeah. I'm sorry that I have to tell you, because that's probably the worst thing that's ever happened to Mom. And the day he died, when I tucked her into bed that night, she said, as I was getting ready to walk out of the room, I tucked her in and I said, I love you and can I get you anything else? And and she said no and I gave her a kiss and I started to walk out of the room and she said, thank you for all you did for me today. Mm. And wow. there has not been a night since that night, which was the worst day of her life, that she has not remembered. Bless her little heart, she can't remember much, but mm-hmm. she has remembered every night to say that to me. Wow. And so you know, for the first two or three weeks, it just made me cry because it was so sweet and so selfless. But that's very much in keeping with how they live their lives. Mm-hmm. Well, Maggie, so, let me ask you, when did you first sort of see the signs of change in your mom? And how old was she when she was diagnosed? Let's see. I, I think she was diagnosed long after the signs were there. I think mom and dad were had retired to Florida. And so they were living in Florida. They were 900 miles away. And so I saw them several times a year, but I wasn't around them for extended periods of time. Mm-hmm. So it was easy to just say, oh, mom's getting a little forgetful. But, you know, it didn't seem like anything very bad and her vision was getting so much worse so kind of the focus was on her going blind she had macular degeneration Mm -hmm. so the focus was kind of on that because mom was a voracious reader so you know it was very tragic that she was unable to read anymore Mm -hmm. so i think daddy probably saw the signs first but was in denial about them it was just too painful for him to, you know, and he was so patient, he would never say, you know, why can't you remember <laughs> what I just yeah. told you? Because you'll have the same conversation over and over and over again. But the first signs were well before they moved up here. And I think they moved up here in 2004. Okay. So she would have been, let's say she was born in 1928. Okay. So she would have been 70s. Mm-hmm. Um, they moved up here in 04 because they realized they were getting older and it would probably be helpful for them to have us around mm-hmm. to help them mm-hmm. with things, mm-hmm. which is, again, very selfless and in mm-hmm. keeping with how they live their lives. They never said, you know, why don't one of you move down uh-huh. here? And they were so happy in Florida. Where uh, in Florida they were retired, they? They were back in Gainesville where the University of Florida was. Mom considered that her hometown, even though she didn't live there Mm -hmm. until she was a little bit older. But they moved back to Gainesville and reconnected with people that they'd known when they were there at the university. Mm -hmm. They made a wonderful life for themselves in their retirement years, and they Mm -hmm. were so happy down there. They loved the weather. They had a lovely home, and they had a wonderful lifestyle. And 
they gave all that up to come move up here where it's much colder. And, you know, in the winters, I would be like, oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> you poor people. Why yeah. Did you do but this? they were also really smart, though, because, you know, that situation was not sustainable for them in the long term. They recognized that. It was that. not. And they did recognize that. But mom, it started out with just little things. Mm-hmm. I thought they were moving up here a little tiny prematurely. Mm-hmm. But then I went, da- I went down to help them finish up and sell the house and move up here. And when I did that, I realized, no, this isn't too premature. <laughs> In fact, it might be a year or two a little late hmm. because mom had gotten so forgetful. And, and in fact, she misplaced the keys to the house. You know, the keys that you leave behind for the realtor because yeah. you're going to, you're selling the house. Right. She misplaced them. Oh. And she kept saying, oh, I guess they must have gotten packed up with the movers. And I said, no, mom, they, they were completely separate from the movers. Mm-hmm. You know, they were in a completely different spot. I found them in the pantry, the empty pantry. And then she mm-hmm. was like, well, how in the world did they get there? And I'm thinking, well, I mean, there was only one way they'd gotten there. I had the same situation happen when I took them. They wanted to go on a trip back to Nova Scotia. They'd been to Nova Scotia once. They wanted to go back for their 60th wedding anniversary. So I planned it and took them because I realized they weren't up to taking a trip like that by themselves. Uh-huh. And so I took them and mom misplaced the car keys of the rental Mm. car that Mm -hmm. we had Mm -hmm. and it was Labor Day weekend and we were in Canada and I'm thinking okay now what (laughs) 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 and and she yeah I kept saying mom I set them right here are you sure you don't remember picking them up or something I'm not mad I'm just trying to find out what happened to them Mm -hmm. oh no I didn't touch them I didn't touch them at all I've been sitting here the whole time well we found them in the bottom of a suitcase and she she had put them away oh my exactly Hmm. so it showed up with things like that first Uh and her asking the same question again and Uh again that's how it showed up originally and then it just has gotten worse over time we'll have the same conversation again and again and again in the span of a few minutes sometimes Mm -hmm. um other days i'll wake her up and she's just as bright as she can be and it's mom again and you know that you got her for a little while you don't know how long but you have her for a little while and it's like a present so we noticed with those kind of symptoms first and now you know she'll have problems with logic putting things in the right order, making sense of things, reasoning through things. And if you take stuff out of order, it really throws her. And then she has to go back to the beginning and do things from the beginning to the end again. And now that I understand that that's part of the disease, I'm better at, you know, I'll just say, here, let's start at the beginning again. And I'll just, instead of watching her struggle, <laughs> which mm-hmm. is just seems mean, now the more I've read and and understand, I think the better I can care for her without making her more frustrated. Yeah. She said something the other day about, I'm so confused. And I said, well, you know, sometimes life can be confusing. She said, I think I'm confused all the time. Hmm. And I felt so bad for her. I said, well, mom, truth be told, most people are confused most of the time. Everybody just puts up a good front. That's a great answer. Let me, let me take this back a minute. 
talk about the extent to which your work colleagues knew in the earlier mm-hmm. earlier time about your caregiving, what you were doing, how supportive your employer was, etc. Well, I had a very good situation in that I had worked for that employer for a number of years, and my immediate supervisor is like one of the best friends I have in the world. He was the attorney I did most of my work for, and I have known him for over 30 years. So he and I go way back, and he knows my family, and so he knew how involved I am with my parents. And so when my parents moved back up here, and they're on the Illinois side of the river from from St. Louis, so they're just across the river from St. Louis. I was actually living in St. Louis in one of the suburbs just outside, and I was working in the same area that I was living. So I had a very short commute, and without a lot of traffic, I could get to where mom and dad were living from where I was living in probably 30, 45 minutes at the longest, unless there was traffic of some sort. I would come over on the weekends, and I would occasionally I'd come over at night after work. But it was more I was would come over every other weekend or something like that. Then it got to be pretty much every weekend. And then it would get so that they'd have a doctor's appointment during the week. Well, dad could probably do it, but it might be a lot better if I just took off and helped them get to their appointment. Mm -hmm. So it started with things like that. Mm -hmm. And then as time went on, it became more and more apparent that they were going to need more and more help. Mm -hmm. And I had more flexibility than either of my sisters did with Mm -hmm. my work. So I tended to be the one that would rearrange my schedule. My immediate supervisor, my good friend, Mm -hmm. he was incredibly understanding. And it was affecting him the most because I did most of the work for him. So it affected him the most. But he was incredibly understanding and supportive. The workplace knew what was going on, too. I mean, the level above him and on up, they knew what was going on, and they were very supportive and understanding. But it just became apparent to me that at some point, they need me to be there when they need me to be there. Right. And mom and dad needed me to be there when they needed me to be there. And Mm -hmm. they were, of course, not asking me to do any of this stuff. You know, and in fact, dad would say, oh, I think I think I can get there, Shugs. You know, you don't need to worry. But I just knew that his driving and plus he was trying to get mom around. And Mm -hmm. so I have a whole new appreciation, of course, since I've taken over her care completely. I have a whole new appreciation for the responsibility of taking that on. And when we go out, she needs to be in a wheelchair. She can't walk yeah. very long distances. Mm-hmm. So there's the chair. You have to make sure the chair's in the car and you have to oh, get yeah. the chair out. And Familiar with that scenario. That. Exactly. <laughs> and And at the time, the chair he had was not a transfer chair uh-huh. like she has now. So uh-huh. it was much heavier, you know, and mom's calling out, oh, I'm so sorry, it's so heavy <laughs> from oh. the front seat. And, and, you know, I'm saying, oh, no, it's not oh, I got it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really. Throwing and out I'm your back. It. And, and the, you know, the mental image, too, is, is priceless because I'm five foot tall. Uh-huh. <laughs> and so I'm <laughs> raffling this chair from the back of their oh, car. Oh, my gosh. So when daddy passed away so suddenly, I knew that he wanted mom to be able to stay at home as long as she could. And I knew that that was what she would prefer. 
I also knew that if she went into a facility somewhere, I didn't think she would last any amount of time. I was going to ask you if you considered that. Oh, yeah. I just don't see that she would have lasted any time at all. Hmm. Because with her vision being the way it is, when she's out of her own environment, she's afraid to move. She's She has permanent vertigo from a stroke that hmm. she had. Mm-hmm. So she's a high fall risk because of her vision and that vertigo together. So that's why I moved in with her. Mm-hmm. It just makes better sense. She didn't need to adjust to a new environment. So do you have kids? No, I'm I'm divorced and I didn't have any children. Okay. So that made it easier in that regard. Mm -hmm. Now, my sisters were wonderful to share their kids with me, and now their kids are having kids. So I have three great nephews and two great nieces. Mm Mm-hmm. And they all live around here. I was going to so ask if they participate nice. in the care. There, and not so much in the care, but they know my mom and she's at birthday parties and she's at holiday events. And I invite small groups over when she's having good times. I won't overwhelm her with a big throng of people, but I'll, you know, I'll invite one family over at a time mm-hmm. so that they can spend time, quiet time with her. I was lucky if I saw my grandma once a year because we always lived away from them. The idea that they get to see their great grandma (laughs) is fantastic. Mm -hmm. I just think that's a wonderful thing for the little ones. Yeah. And, And mom is so, if she's having a tough day, all I have to do is start bringing up the little ones and she just perks right up because they have her heart. I mean, she just melts and they are so sweet with her it's like they sense even the smallest one and she's only two and a half she just has a sense oh well I need to be still when I'm sitting in this lady's lap so she doesn't Uh squirm all around and you know so she knows when she's in Grammy's lap she just holds still and she just she'll give her a kiss and she'll hug on her and she'll play with her doll with her and it's just so sweet. <laughs> That's to great see. therapy for both. <laughs> it is. And it's good for me to see that. Yeah. It just makes me happy. So I think that's a a great thing for these little ones coming up to uh-huh. have her around and and in fact one time she was really ill and you know, we were having a pretty serious conversation and I said, Mom, are you just you know, you're not trying. Are you just done? And she said, no, I don't think so. I want to be around for those grand, great grandkids a little while longer. Hmm. How old, how <laughs> old is she? Go ahead. Mom, mom is 89. She's 89. She's 89. She had her birthday on June 2nd. That morning I woke her and I said, happy birthday, mom. Is it my birthday? And I said, yes. How old am I? And I said, 89. <laughs> she said, I'm an old, old woman. <laughs> Take us through a typical day, if there is such a thing. What are some of the things that you guys do? And what are some of your challenges? Um, Well, she sleeps later than I do. I I usually get up and try and take care of things like phone calls that I need to make. And I'll put in a load of laundry and go through some mail or pay some bills, do things that require attention without being interrupted Mm -hmm. so much. Mm -hmm. I try and do those things first thing in the morning while she's still asleep. I just find that it's better if I have things that require some concentration, it's better to do those things first Mm -hmm. in the morning when she's resting. Then I'll go in and I'll wake her up 
or she may get up on her own, but she, given to her own devices, most days she would sleep well into the afternoon if yeah. I let her. <laughs> but I, I won't do that because then she won't sleep at night. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> In fact, last night we were up three or four times last night. Wow. And that's probably my biggest challenge is functioning on very little sleep. It's not always that way. Some nights she sleeps through the night, but then there are nights like last night where she doesn't. And mm-hmm. you never know when there's going to be a good night and when there's going to be a bad night. How but do you then, know when she wakes up? Is there like a baby monitor in there? or how? I have a baby monitor, mm-hmm. and I've given her a little bell, mm-hmm. and she'll ring the bell mm-hmm. or call me, and I can hear her, and I'll go in. She's too much of a fall risk if she needs to get up to use the restroom in the night. It's just too dangerous. Right. And, you know, and she'll say, well, I hate to wake you up. And I said, I'd hate to have you fall. We just can't have you falling. It's right. just not an option. So once I get her up, the first thing I have to do is weigh. She has congestive heart failure. So there's another layer of care because I have to weigh her every day to see if she's retaining fluid. Mm-hmm. And um, I have to take her blood pressure. She has AFib, so she can go into AFib without knowing that she's in AFib. So I have to take her pulse and, you know, her oxygen saturation level and all of that. So I have a bunch of those kind of things to do when she first gets up. Then I give her her morning meds. And then we have breakfast. Mm -hmm. And then she always wants to talk about what we're going to do that day. And sometimes while I'm fixing breakfast, she's saying, what are we going to have for dinner? (laughs) (laughs) Well, let's get past one meal before we worry about two meals away. But I'm just uh, laughing because this is so familiar. Go go ahead. (laughs) Yes. She's normally a very good eater. She normally has a great appetite. When she doesn't, I worry. Um, She Mm -hmm. gets very frequent urinary tract infections, Mm -hmm. which is not unheard of by Mm -hmm. any means. Mm -hmm. She gets them all the time. I can tell when she's getting them long before the classic. If I wait for the classic symptoms to show up, I've waited too long, and she's going to get really, really sick and might end up in the hospital Mm -hmm. because she turns so quickly. Mm -hmm. But she'll start acting odd, and she'll get very confused. She'll hallucinate. She will see all kinds of things that aren't there. She'll be completely unreasonable and disagreeable. She will argue until she is blue in the face about everything. I can say, oh, that's a nice pink housecoat you have on. And she'll say, it's not pink. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and in fact, one day I said, well, I think you might be getting a UTI. Why? And I said, well, because you're not very agreeable and that's very un- unlike you. Mm-hmm. And I said, and and you're you're kind of argumentative. I am not. And I said, mm, well then. <laughs> how, point. how could that not possibly be part of her Alzheimer's? I mean, how, how do you tell well, the difference? Well, because most of the time with the Alzheimer's, she's still very pleasant and not combative. Mm-hmm. She's not. Um, disagreeable. She's very even keeled. Mm-hmm. But with those UTIs, she is a wild woman. And she gets very difficult and, like I said, argumentative and she's demanding. And and that is so unlike her mm-hmm. that I immediately know. And so, I mean, her primary care doctor, I've talked to her and, and said, you know, look, here's the situation. If I don't jump on these UTIs fast enough, 
she ends up in the emergency room and then she ends up in ICU with congestive heart failure and kidney failure and all this stuff. So, you know, I've had to become much keener at finding out when she's starting to get one so that we can head it off early. Mm-hmm. And mom's primary care physician has been excellent at understanding. First of all, she listened to me because we went through a couple doctors that they'd say, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I'd call them and say, she's getting a UTI. And a day, two, three would go by and she's getting sicker and sicker. And oh, well, maybe she should come in. (laughs) You know, and that would be another couple days before they could schedule her in. And and it just wasn't working. So her current physician is excellent and mm-hmm. will jump on it as quickly as possible to get her on antibiotics that will pinpoint that UTI and get rid of it. So she's really been doing better since we switched to this physician than mm-hmm. she has in quite some time. Mm-hmm. Because there's been more than once when she was in ICU and the doctors were asking me, does she have an advanced directive? Does she have a living will? Does she? And does she? She does. Uh-huh, but um, that's scary. She does not. It is. And at the time she didn't. <laughs> and that's yeah. scarier still. Uh-huh. One day when mom was really clear, I said, I think I know how you feel about care. And if you've had some severe illness, what kind of care you would want and what kind of care you wouldn't want. Mm -hmm. But the truth is, it's not my choice. It's yours. And you ought to have that choice. Mm -hmm. You ought to make that choice. I shouldn't. I said I would if push came to shove. But let's talk about it, even though it's not very pleasant to talk about. How do you feel about it? What do you want to do? And based on those conversations on days when she was particularly clear, That's how we've moved forward. How did she respond to those questions? She was very matter-of-fact. She said, "I if the doctor thinks that there is a good chance of me having a meaningful recovery, then obviously I would like to have that opportunity. And I said, well, here's the trick, Mom. The doctor doesn't always know if you're going to have a meaningful recovery or not. And she said, well, I don't want heroic measures. I don't want to be on machines. I just want care to keep me comfortable. Right. But I wouldn't, I don't want you guys having some kind of, oh, she's calling me. So at this point, Maggie has stepped away from the interview because she's got to check in on her mom. This interview is being conducted while Maggie is with her mom, and she had to step away from the phone to attend to her. So we'll be back as soon as Maggie comes back. Okay, sorry about that. <laughs> That's okay. She, she had completely forgotten. She wondered what I was doing. <laughs> uh-huh. I think, I think sometimes she just is bored and is looking for something to say. I really do. I've tried to keep her mind involved in things. I've had a lot of suggestions given to me about, you know, oh, you give her too many choices, or you, you should just tell her, well, we're having this for dinner, or, mm-hmm. you know. Well, yes and no. If you give her too many choices, it's overwhelming. But I think giving her some choices keeps her mind working. I mean, can you imagine going through your day and being told what you're going to wear, what you're going to eat, when you're going to eat, you know, what you're going to do, when you're going to bathe? 
she knows. I think I would I just mean, punch somebody. <laughs> it would make me crazy. It would make me absolutely nuts. Totally. And, and I'm not going to do that to but, my mother. Yeah, but you know, you make I, a really good point because she should feel like she has some power, right? Absolutely. Some agency. Absolutely. Yeah. And because she knows that she's my mother. She understands that she's an adult. Mm -hmm. She hasn't gotten to the place that she doesn't realize all of that. Mm -hmm. And so if you don't give her any choices, I mean, then it's just this kind of horrible existence. I don't want her to have to live like that. Yeah. So I give her choices. I'll, you know, she'll say, what are we doing today? And I'll say, you know, we're going to do such and such. And she'll say, what am I going to wear? And I'll say, well, what would you like to wear? Would you like to wear this little house coat or would you like to wear some casual pants or you know and I'll get out a couple different things and let her choose <laughs> boy you are a really because good daughter <laughs> well I think she has the right to choose as long as she can you know or as long as she cares sometimes mm-hmm. she'll say I don't care just get me out something that's fine but she can't see so she's dependent upon me getting her something out to wear mm-hmm. and bless her little heart whatever I get out she would dutifully put on But I just get her involved in stuff. I think it's good to keep her mind working. And so she'll help me when we're talking about what we're going to eat that week. I get her involved. Does she go out with you, like to the store? Or is she mostly around the house? She's mostly around the house. she kind of has to be, huh? I needed to go to the store. And I did not have Home and Stead lined up because she, she was in decent shape the day before last so I didn't have anything set up and so I said mom we have to go to the store well it took me probably three hours from when I said we really ought to go to the store until I finally had her dressed ready to get in the car so by then of course there's going to be some traffic and the store is going to be busy but you know that happens that just happens Mm -hmm. well I left her in the car with the car running because it, it was hot Uh, Too hot for her to sit there. Now, there are days when I would not have done that. She wouldn't be trustworthy enough to do that. And I see that the window of opportunities to do those kinds of things is closing. Mm-hmm. I mean, they'll they'll come a time where I can't leave her in the car at all, whether it's running or not. That's incredibly courageous of you to do that. You must be, I would be panicky more or less the whole time in the store. Well, it makes me crazy. Yeah. I mean, I was running around like a chicken in the store. Uh-huh. You know, I said, I'll, <laughs> I'll be right back. As I left, I said, I'll be right back in just a minute. And she said, oh, there's no need to rush. Yeah. I'm yeah, so- you. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so I'm racing around. I'm racing around like a maniac in the store. But most of the time, I engage home instead to come. Uh And 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 when did you start doing that? I know you just started getting help fairly recently. No, no. It was Daddy died in December of 2013. Uh And for the first, I'd say it was probably a full three months. Mom and I both suffer from seasonal effect disorder. And Mm -hmm. so up Mm -hmm. here in the, in the wintertime, there's a lack of sunshine. We have gray days, gray, gray, cold days. Mm -hmm. And so for the first, I'd say three months that I was mom's caregiver 24 seven, I only left the house to go to the mailbox to get the mail. And then I'd come back in the house And it was cold and it was gray and we were still grieving dad's loss. And it was just a really rough time. And I remember walking in, it was a Friday afternoon, you know, at the end of the third month, I was, and I was walking in from the mailbox and I thought, I'm going to lose my marbles if I keep this up. And then I'm of no use to mom. There's got to be some kind of agency 
that can help in this kind of situation. And I grabbed the phone book and I started looking. And I called two or three different places, but I liked the answers I got from the Home Instead people. Mm-hmm. I liked that they vetted their caregivers so thoroughly. I liked that their caregivers received some training as well. And they really took that responsibility seriously. Mm-hmm. And Question, that, questions to ask listeners if you're looking for a home care agency, this is important. I know we've gone through, at, you know, ourselves, you know, my family. We've used an agency that doesn't train their care workers. So that's a really good Mm -hmm. point you're making to ask. Yes, and they they specifically have Alzheimer patient training. They train some of their caregivers to deal with Alzheimer's patients because she's my mom, and I've obviously known her my whole life, and we're very close, and we're probably closer now than we've ever been. Mm-hmm. But it's weird to have somebody, when you've just told them something, ask you the same thing again. For a while, you're thinking, oh, now I'm being punked. Somebody is messing with me. <laughs> uh-huh. Where you know, I mean, you think there's no way they can't possibly remember that. There's just no way. But you learn that some of the things that Alzheimer's patients do aren't logical because their logic isn't working the same way anymore. Right. And so, when you see your mother doing something that you swore you'd never see her do, you think, huh? okay, then you've got caregivers coming in who don't know this person from Adam and they're doing wacky things. Well, they need to understand why they're doing those wacky things, Mm -hmm. that it's the disease. Mm -hmm. You know, when mom was in the hospital a couple of times ago, she was a bear cat. I mean, I had a blood clot in my leg and I was in the emergency room and they were telling me, okay, we're going to take you to ICU and you're not going to be allowed to get out of bed. And I said, wheel me up so I can at least talk to my mom and let her know what's mm-hmm. going on because mm-hmm. she's going to be very confused. I'm mm-hmm. her person. Mm-hmm. And when I got up there, she laid into me, where have you been? You've been neglecting me. I'm going to call the police and tell them that you're neglecting me. <laughs> Wow. And you were both in the hospital at this point? Well, she didn't know that I had the clot. I came up to tell her that they were admitting me and I was going to be in ICU. And she let me have it. And and that is so not my mom. And Mm -hmm. so after I got over my complete shock, I realized, okay, this is the Alzheimer's talking. This isn't mom. So you need to just not take this personally. As hard as that might be, you need to get a tougher skin. And Mm -hmm. I texted my sisters and I said, word to the wise, here's a little taste of what I got when I showed up today. Just get ready to duck and run (laughs) Uh (laughs) if you guys make an appearance. And, you know, when they got there, of course, she was fine. (laughs) So how often do you have outside help coming in now? It really varies. I don't have it on a regular basis, Mm -hmm. although I'm working toward doing that because I think it would be a good thing for me. But I try and cluster things together that I need to do and Mm -hmm. do them all like when I have somebody here. For instance, I'm going to have lunch with some friends on Friday. Mm -hmm. So I'm also planning on doing some errand running that day. Mm -hmm. I'm going to go by the bank and I'm going to go by the grocery store, those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. I'm going to do all of those things on Friday. Mm -hmm. So I'll have somebody here on Friday all day. I tend to cluster things like that. Mm -hmm. I tend to schedule coverage when there's something that I need to do that I don't want to 
drag mom along. And especially this time of year when it's so hot. This week, we're supposed to have heat advisories in the area, and she's happier at home. And so I asked her, I said, how would you feel about having one of the ladies come on Friday? Oh, that would be fine. Why did you ask for Clara? She said, said, you know, Clara is my favorite. I said, okay, well, we'll do that then. I have a couple of other questions for you about the impact for you on leaving the workforce I wanted to know, first of all, did you lose your health insurance because you quit work? And I did. So you're, you're missing out on health insurance right now. That, is that the case? At first, I had COBRA, mm-hmm. which was astronomical, but at least I had it. Mm-hmm. And it was very good coverage. Mm-hmm. But then since then, I, I have it through the marketplace. There was a year or two when I didn't have it at all. Mm-hmm. And that was awful. But I do, in fact, have it now. It's just not through my work anymore. Uh-huh. And w- what do you miss about your former life in the paid work world? Oh, so much of it. I miss my colleagues. And my immediate supervisor, the gentleman that I told you I'd known for over 30 years, Mm -hmm. we'd worked together for forever. And Mm -hmm. we were just used to seeing each other every day. And I mean, he's one of my best friends on the planet. And Mm -hmm. I miss seeing him. I miss talking to him every day. It's been a real adjustment for Mm me. I found since I'm no longer working in the outside workplace, that a lot of my self-esteem came from my work. So I've had to shift some gears and change how I view things. And it's it took mom a long time before she realized, because to them, you know, I'm just kind of hanging around, right. lending a hand. And that has been a really difficult thing to explain to other people, even in the family, in the immediate family, about why I need a break, why things are difficult. The view from some family is, well, now this is your job. So this is, you know, this is what you do. And my position is, yeah, but there's no vacation. There's no time off. There's no weekends off. There's no nights off. You're not getting a full night's sleep very often. So it is my job. And with that are pluses and minuses. It's the hardest job I'll ever love. Because I'll always be glad that I have this time with mom. I don't think I'll ever regret this decision. Now, I've got friends that are climbing the walls because I'm not putting away for retirement. Mm-hmm. I'm yeah. not drawing a salary. I, you know, And so they're going crazy about stuff like that. But I feel very confident that I'm doing what I need to be doing right now. Mm-hmm. And yeah. if I'm doing what I need to be doing right now, then I figure the rest is going to work itself out. Now, maybe that's naive, but then I'm naive because that's what I think is the case. I think Mm -hmm. it'll work itself out. And so I'm doing for my mom what she would have done for me if the situation were reversed. I'm doing what I would want done for me if I were in mom's position. I know I'm doing what dad would want. Dad absolutely would have been adamant about trying to keep mom at home for as long as possible. And I think her quality of life is much better and happier than she would be if we had her in a facility somewhere. I really do think she would just kind of curl up and give up. It's so interesting to me. It's a, such a common scenario that there's usually just one sibling in the family who is best positioned to take it on. In our family, that was me. 
Mm-hmm. And yet, I had no idea that it would last as long as it did. And we did reach a breaking point where I said, look, I can't stay in our family home forever. We've got to do something. Exactly. Here. So how's that going for you? Well, obviously, as a paralegal, things continue to change mm-hmm. in the law. So my shelf date is mm-hmm. running out um, at some point. So I've tried to you know, go to continuing legal education things and, mm-hmm. and stay, stay abreast mm-hmm. um, in my area of law. But, you know, obviously, at some point, I'm coming back, you know, I'm 55 now. So I'm coming back and I'm in my, you know, mid to latter 50s, mm-hmm. say, mm-hmm. well, you know, it's harder to get hired. And there's this gap in your resume, mm-hmm. where, you know, well, what were you doing? Well, I was taking care of my parent. And for some people, that would not be a suitable explanation. Now, as more and more people face the same decision, I think it's going to become a more suitable explanation because I think there are going to be more and more and more of us in that situation. I think there are many people in that situation. It's just that we're not talking about it enough. And I'm curious to know if when you were working, you know, you did talk about this. And how big was your firm? The firm itself is is pretty good size, but I was in a St. Louis office mm-hmm. of the firm. It's a national mm-hmm. firm. So I was I was in the St. Louis office. Of about how um, many lawyers? Um, I'd say maybe 20 okay. in that office. And what sort of practice area? Intellectual you property. Okay. Intellectual okay. property, patents, trademarks, copyrights, okay. trade secrets. And so I had some friends who would even ask, well, how is your mom doing? You know, knowing that I was very involved. And when I see people from the office now, they will ask how mom's doing and uh, be very supportive in that way. But, you know, it's a different scenario now. Now, at some point, I don't know when that point's going to be. I'm going to have to go back to work because, I I mean, I can't retire now. I'm way far from being able to retire. And so I'm going to have to go back at some point. Well, do I wait until mom needs to be in a, a different facility, or do I get somebody now to stay with her during the days, and then I'm here at nights and weekends? Well, you know, that's tough, too, because mm-hmm. now, if I'm not getting a lot of sleep, like, I can talk to you, and I'm in my jammies, mm-hmm. but I can't, you know, go crawling into the office after right. a night of being up four or five times and, you know, come in in my jammies and say, okay, well, I'm going to take a little nappy here, and I'll see you guys in an hour. <laughs> That's not going to work. <laughs> not going to work. And no matter how supportive uh, a place can, is, ultimately they need you when they need you, when you're a paralegal. Mm-hmm. I, I, it's not like you can go in and work a later shift and that's going to be helpful. That's just not going to do it. Right. So I felt like I was supported at work, but ultimately it is a business. Uh And, you know, they have to do what makes sense for the business. Yeah. This is a, it's a very precarious position to be in at 55. Not just you, though, but for your, for your mom. So she have the means. Well, that's just it. She said on her clearer days, you know, well, why don't you have home instead here during the daytime? And I, I said, well, mom, you have long-term care insurance and it will pay she does, mm-hmm. but it will pay up to a maximum per day. And the mm-hmm. maximum per day is not enough to cover any reputable place yeah. being here 
it, it doesn't cover the whole thing. Uh-huh. It just doesn't. Uh huh. So the long term uh, care insurance she has is not adequate. Is what you're saying? It's not adequate for all of all of, all of care the needs. care that she uh-huh. would need if I if I weren't here. It would not be enough, and uh-huh. so she'd be eating into her nest egg that she's living off of now, and that can drain it in a big hurry. Yeah, and um, then you've probably got family who are saying, "Uh-uh, don't touch that," or you know, there are absolutely there's that too. Absolutely, yeah. and and they don't they don't get the difficulty of doing this day in and day out. You know, you're cut off. You really are cut off, and you can feel very isolated if you allow it to happen. Mm-hmm. You have to fight against that, and so that's why at least once a month I have lunch with some friends. Mm-hmm. I think that's important. Mm-hmm. I think I need to get out and have some other interests and other people to talk to. I think it's good for mom to have other people to talk to and other people, you know, to listen to and to visit with. Mm -hmm. And the Home Instead people have been great about that. Mom will talk to them about stories from when she was a child, and they're so good about paying attention, listening, and being interested. It's been very nice. Did you ever consider joining a support group? I thought about it, and then I thought, okay, well, then you'd have to hire somebody to come in while I go do that. So it it becomes that everything that I'm going to do has to pass the test of, well, is this really something that I should hire somebody for? So I, I pick and choose. If I know that there's something coming up that I particularly think is good for me to do or that is important for me to do, and I know that that's going to take, say, a day of time, then, you know, I might back off of doing something else in that Mm -hmm. same week kind of a thing. I kind of pick and choose and I try and sprinkle it around Mm -hmm. over time. Mm -hmm. So I have a break here and then a break and maybe a week. But when mom is doing her thing where she's up at night, I will just decide, okay, I'm taking a break and I'm going to stay overnight with one of my friends over in St. Louis because I just need to sleep. Mm-hmm. I just need to get some rest. And what happens with mom at the, in that scenario? I have home instead come and mm-hmm. they'll stay overnight. And mom's adjusted to that and seems to do pretty well. I think the most I've ever left her has been two nights in a row. Wow. And that's and in, I, in four years of caregiving. Uh-huh. Wow. And I think, I've only, I think I've only done that twice. What about having overnight care on a more regular basis? Well, I'd wondered about that, too. I've been approached about doing some work of a part-time nature, something that I could do here at home, Mm -hmm. and I wouldn't have to physically go anywhere else. And I'd like to be able to do that. It would kind of keep my toe in the pool. So I had thought about doing that, which would mean involving home instead on a more regular basis, because Mm -hmm. if I'm here, mom's going to call for me. Mm (laughs) (laughs) And so I, you know, I can't just say, okay, now I'm off limits because, you know, I'm going to go and study and I'm going to do this. That doesn't work. So I would need to physically hire home instead to come in and be with mom. And I would need to go in the study and just close the door. And so it's like I've gone, physically left the building. Mm -hmm. And what's preventing Um, you from doing that? Well, right now, mm-hmm. mom and I, mom was kind of having the doldrums, and I had been sleeping on a love seat all this time. <laughs> it, it took me a while oh my to goodness. be able to dismantle the study, because the study was dad's study, uh-huh. and that's the only other bedroom. There's a master bedroom and bath, mm-hmm. and then there's the study and a, a hall bath. 
And so it took me a while to dismantle the study, but I'm in the process of dismantling the study and turning it into my bedroom. Mm -hmm. Wait, so so let me just be clear on this. Are you saying that for the past four years you've been sleeping on a love seat? I've been sleeping on a love seat in the living room. In the living room. that's the truth. Yes. Oh, wow. That's the case. Now we are turning the study into my bedroom. And so I'm in the process of doing that. And so at the time that I was doing that, I felt like, well, I'm doing all this stuff for me and poor mom. I mean, this isn't any good for her. So I decided that we would redecorate her bedroom and bath at the same time. <laughs> and so we're redecorating her bed and bath at the same time, which you know, shame on me because I should have known that there was too much to do all at once. Well, it is more than enough to do all at once. And well, so you know, it's I'm, so, so interesting just listening to you. You felt badly because you weren't doing anything for your mom, but you were renovating a room that you, in which you'd been sleeping uncomfortably for a long time. Mm-hmm. And so you, but you felt guilty because you weren't doing something for your mom. But, you know, the reality is, is that you changed your life for your mom. And this is a very familiar ring as daughters, you know, we're not doing enough ever. We're not doing enough. So what keeps you going? How do you stay motivated? Um, I have a tremendous group of friends who are extremely supportive and they'll reach out to me and say, you know, hey, we haven't had lunch for a while. Let's do a lunch. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, what are you doing this weekend? Why don't you come over and spend the night? Or, you know, something like that. Mm -hmm. And it's just those having those little breaks. It's amazing how much it can regenerate your batteries. Right. Part of what's so tiresome is, first of all, you're watching your loved one deteriorate. Yeah. And that is tough. Yeah. That is tough to do. Mm-hmm. And the second thing is you're always responsible. Always. Mm-hmm. Every second of every day, you're responsible. And so I think... Getting out from under that every so often and not being responsible. When I'm over at a girlfriend's house, she'll say, what would you like for dinner? And I'll say, I don't care. I don't have to think about it. <laughs> put anything in front any, of me. Anything you put in front of me, dog chow, I'm just happy. <laughs> just don't I'm put it in a bowl. I don't have to, yeah, I'm just happy. I don't have to, you know, deal with it. Make the it's, decision. You know, it, it, or it's cook. just so nice. And, and I, have a, I have a strong faith. And I think that helps me a a great deal Mm -hmm. because when I feel like it's tougher than I am, I'm given somehow a little bit more strength, a little Mm -hmm. bit more stamina. Mm -hmm. And I I can't take the credit for that. I think when you're doing what you're supposed to be doing, everything else works itself out. Hmm. And and I just feel like I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. Mm -hmm. When when that's going to change, when uh, I have to go back to work, how long mom will be around, all of those things, who knows? I play it day to day. But I do see that by this fall, I'm hoping that the redecorating and all that stuff is finished, and I'm in a position to have Home Instead come on a regular basis so that I can be getting a little bit of work done. Mornings are probably the best time for me to do that. This morning, a, a friend of mine called and, and said, isn't this morning when you have that conference call? And, and I said, yeah. And he said, is your mom still asleep? Oh, yeah, I'm sure she is. I said, oh, no. <laughs> 
he said, oh, no. He said, yeah, well, it happens. I said, but, you know, we've gotten her up, and she's gone to the bathroom, and we've changed the peach pants, the depend, and we call them peach pants. Peach pants. I like that. Peach pants. My mom wears them, too. She would be horrified to know I'm talking about this. But by the same token, she's, like, giving up. Our caregiver calls them pull-ups. (laughs) <laughs> oh, well, that works. That works, too. Well, I just didn't want to. This is really you know, inside baseball <laughs> for caregivers. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, somebody was complaining at me. Oh, it was one of my sisters was saying, look at all this stuff you've got. I said, I never know when I'm going to be able to go out. And I said, we might run out of everything else. We will never run out of toilet paper. We will never run out of wet wipes. And we will never run out of peach cake. Amen, sister. <laughs> I said, I'll do without food and water before I do without peach pants. (laughs) We will never be out of peach pants. They are our friend. And mom said something the other day about, what did we do before we had peach pants? I said, well, I can tell you what, we wouldn't be going anywhere without peach pants. She said, I guess we wouldn't. Oh, my (laughs) God, that's so sweet. I just love the idea that, you know, you're having these experiences with your mom that you'll never forget and that your siblings won't be able to say they had. I mean... Tough exactly. as it is, you know, and it's I'm, tough. I'm so, uh, it is tough, and, and I wouldn't trade it, but I know that it's the right thing for mom, it's the right thing for me. Are your siblings participating at all right now, and if so, on what level? Very little. They both work. Um, they both have kids and grandkids, and so they don't participate very much. If I call and ask them to do stuff, I can usually get some assistance, but I'll sometimes get pushback too, though. You know, if you haven't done it, you don't have a full appreciation for how things work. Right. You just don't. No ma- and no matter and, how empathetic you are as a person, too, because you can uh-huh. be empathetic as a person, but have no idea the depth of exactly. the strain. You, exactly. Yeah. But I think they will defer to me on certain things, like they know that I know mom's habits and like when she's getting a UTI and stuff like that better than anybody because I know so much more about her now yeah, than I did sure, before. Sure. But for the most part, there's been a lot of second guessing, you know, and so... My position has been, if you're not part of the solution, don't be a hater. <laughs> Go away. Go away. If you're, if you're not going to help and all you're going to do is show up and crab about stuff, then I just assume you not show up at all because I don't need somebody showing up and crabbing at me about stuff. Mm-hmm. Do I do everything perfectly? No. I will be the first one to tell you that I do not. Mm. Do I do what's best for mom? At pretty much every turn, yeah, I pretty much do. So she's generally upbeat. She's generally looking forward to things. I, you know, I admire that so much. I don't know that I could do all of that with all that she's lost. But bless her heart, every day she wakes up, what are we going to do today? Mm -hmm. And I think, God love her. I mean. Yeah, that's so sweet. (laughs) That yeah. is so sweet. Yeah, but that's also so inspiring. It is. And I told her, I said, you're, I'm still learning from you after all these years. <laughs> you're still teaching me how to how to be a better person, how to live your life. I said, what an example. And, she, oh, I don't know about that. I'll say, <laughs> yeah. I said something about, you know, you could really be a stinker, and I'd still take care of you because... <laughs> 
I love you and you're my mom. And I would understand that you've lost daddy and you've lost your eyesight and loss after loss. I would appreciate why you might be a stinker. But I said, you're not. You're sweet and you're kind and you're thoughtful. And Except when and, you have a UTI. Except when you have a UTI <laughs> when she's a maniac. <laughs> Let's be honest. It's, it's a nightmare. Maggie, I want to ask what you would like other caregivers to know about what you've learned you're stronger than you think you are. And when you think you can't take any more, you can. But know your limits and know when to take a break. Everybody needs a break. Everybody needs a change. Just like moms, that stay-at-home moms, they need adults to talk to and they need a reason to get up and do their face and hair and go out and mm-hmm. in real girl clothes and mm-hmm. stuff. You know, it's the same thing. And it doesn't mean that you don't love your parent. It doesn't mean that they're not wonderful people. It just means you need a change. You need a break. And I'd also say that you need to cherish that time with your parent because they're going to have moments of clarity and sometimes hours of clarity. And if you're really lucky, days of clarity. And those are like golden nuggets that you find. I mean, it's just so fantastic when she opens her eyes and I can tell before she even says anything, okay, she's there today. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and that's so awesome. I'll just chuck the schedule for the day and we'll just sit and talk about stuff. Uh-huh. You know, talk about when she was a little girl or talk about the family tree and mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Stuff that if I don't hear it from mom, I'm not going to hear it. Nobody else is around to tell me any of that stuff. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. Enjoy that time. You can always work. You can always put away for retirement, but you can't always take care of your parent. And they'll appreciate it, whether you know it or not. (laughs) They won't always show it, but they will appreciate it. And you'll know that you did the best you could. How do you think you've changed since you started all this? I think I'm stronger than I was before I started caring for her. I'm a lot more knowledgeable about the process of growing older, probably a little more knowledgeable than I'd like to be. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, I was probably a little happier before I knew some of these ins and outs. And I have to say it's made me a little more afraid of growing old Hmm. because in our society, it's not revered. It's not looked upon as a positive. It's looked upon as a negative. So there's not a lot of patience or admiration associated with aging like there is in some areas of the world, you know, and I don't have any children. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I, you know, I think, oh, yeah. who's going to care for me? But there again, if you do right when you're, you know, have the opportunity to do right or wrong, when, if you do right, then I think the karma will work back around to you. Mm-hmm. It'll work itself out. And what will be, will be. I mean, I just, I think it'll work itself out. Maggie McLean, it's been really fascinating talking with you. I appreciate your candor and your insight. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. We'll have a link on the AgeWise website to the survey I referenced at the top of the show. Maggie, thank you so much. I really appreciate your time. And say hi to your mom for me, even though she doesn't know me. (laughs) (laughs) I will, and thanks so much for asking me. I appreciate it. Okay, bye. Bye Bye-bye. That's it for today. Thanks for listening. If you like this show, please tell your friends. And if you're so inclined, go to agewise.com and subscribe to the show there or wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a review. Rate us. 
The AgeWise podcast is produced and mixed by me, and it's distributed on the nationally syndicated Speak Up Talk radio network. I'm Jana Panaritis. See you next time. And remember, every caregiver has a story. I want to hear yours. Thank you.